officers. Police officers. Um. Bum, 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 It's a cool podcast. That doesn't even sound like the incredible yeah. theme. Yeah, that is it. Podcast, podcast, podcast. That's good, right? People like that. That's something, right? That's a funny thing, right? That's a thing that people like. People like that. Anyway, my name's Jackson McMurray. My name is Senior Incredible. Monsieur. I said Senior. But then I didn't know what Incredible was. Don't sing right now because there's other music playing over it. <laughs> what? No, why is that a problem? Why is there a problem with that? So, Adeline. Yes, Jackson. This is uh-huh. the finale of No Nerds Allowed Phase 1. Yes. This is the final episode before we move on into bold new territory. Which is, honestly, the exact same territory. Mostly the same. Not all the way. It's gonna be a different YouTube channel. And I'm gonna have to talk to people more to get guests on. (laughs) Gonna have to communicate with people. Because, for some reason, everything's my responsibility. Um, None of my friends... (laughs) Our famous Jackson. Um, but I do. Here's what I'm gonna do right up top, so you can, it doesn't get lost. Forty five minutes deep into us talking about Rise of Skywalker spoilers. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I want you guys to email us. I want you guys to get at us at our Twitter. It's at No Nerds Pod on Twitter and No Nerds Pod at Gmail dot com because I want to know what you want to see in Phase Two. Or what you don't want to see in phase two. Maybe more what you don't want to see. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to write in and be like, uh, I think Adeline sucks and Adeline shouldn't be on the show anymore. Yeah, that's I'll helpful die. feedback. Yeah. Um, but I do want to know, do you not like trivia time? What could we do that's different in phase two? What would you like to see us do? Trivia also, time is the only segment on the show that actually functions as a segment. <laughs> what else do we even have? Nothing. <laughs> We have um, Rise of Skywalker spoilers. We do. We do have Rise That's of Skywalker spoilers. Basically a segment at this point. Um, oh, oh, oh. And also, I'm going to put on our Twitter a poll um, to see if people want us to do the Star Wars movies in release order or in chronological, uh, chronological order. I'm going to put that on the on the Twitter as soon as this episode goes up so you can go right then and, and vote on that because I want to know what y'all think. Because I have also been notoriously bad about doing things on social media I say I'm going to do on the podcast. Yeah. Because I forget about it between then and now. And And whenever I listen back to an old episode and I'm like, oh, hey, check out our Twitter right now because we'll have a poll or something. I'm always like, oh, fuck, I did not do that. That (laughs) did not ever come to pass. Especially because now you're getting, like, graded on it for a class. (laughs) Right. Well, we're kind of at the end of that. It doesn't really matter. Um, (laughs) But the Twitter's still good. Twitter's still good. Still follow our Twitter. Our Twitter is still cool. Um, but if you, you don't have to follow our Facebook page anymore. I'm not going to update that motherfucker ever again. Let's God, be real. Who the fuck uses Facebook? Like, that's um, not nobody. an old lady. 
you want to know how I know that? It's because I have got zero engagements from anybody on our on our Facebook page the whole time I've been. Yeah, I've been it's because it. nobody's on Facebook. People say they're on Facebook, but really, it's just your mom, and that's no. it. Yeah, nobody's on Facebook. So yeah. Anyway, as I was saying, email us. Let us know what movies you want. What you want us to do? Pitch us segment ideas. I don't know. Give us some content. Um, tell us you don't like Adeline, whatever you want to yeah, do. Yeah, do you want to be the third McMurray sibling? Sign up here oh, today. We should have open, an open casting call. <laughs> For our third sibling. Yeah. God, I don't want to um, be the middle child. <laughs> what if they're older, though? Are they, like, 54? How old are they? <laughs> if they're older than... If they're older than you, then you won't be the middle child. Fine. You'll be the youngest. <laughs> well, okay, are we accepting middle child applications or are we accepting youngest sibling applications? So you're saying you're saying that the only people we should accept are people between the ages of 19 and 22. Yes. Okay. To keep the core <laughs> demographic in place. All right, fair enough. Uh, is that our core demographic? I don't know. We have like eight listeners and I think they're all around that age. Yeah, um, so. <laughs> anyway, so this week. Adeline, for yes. the finale of No Nerds Allowed Phase 1, uh-huh. we did watch The Incredibles. Oh. I watched The Amazings. Is that, is that something different? Adeline, I'm really upset about the <laughs> amount of, like, just airtime that that joke took. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't it, take <laughs> that much, in my defense. Yeah, I know it didn't. It's taking up a lot more Even now, still but that's your too fault. much. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is this is gonna be the tentative last of our of our Pixar playthrough, um, just because I feel like we're getting a little worn out on it, and there's we kind of only want to do one franchise at a time right now. I feel like. Well, and it's just because I mean, when we want to talk about a Pixar movie, I will have stuff to say. But when it's just like we're watching Bugs Life, it's like Bugs Life is good. Do you want to talk about Alien for three hours? And that's just how <laughs> right, it Right, right, right. And so, like, um, w- when we want to do a Pixar film, we'll do a Pixar film instead of have feeling the obligation to do a Pixar right. film. Um, except for next week when we are doing Onward, so but that's because we'll it's do another new Pixar and film. Shiny and special, <laughs> right? Um, so this is one of my favorite movies ever in history. Yes. Um, this is um, the the. I guess fifth Pixar movie. Um, but it's, I'm, I'm fascinated by this movie because it's the first, um, Pixar movie to just have people in it and just be about folks. People. Yeah. Um, cause you can, it, I don't know. It's fascinating cause you can like see them building up to it, you know? Oh yeah. Like Toy Story. It's like, there are some people in it, but it's not about them. It's but about it, it, It's not toys. good. And we don't really want you to look at them. <laughs> Right. We kind of want uh, Bugs to Life, them. Bugs Life is no people at all. Toy Story 2 is more people. Um, or no, this is the sixth movie. Finding Nemo is the fifth one. Right? God, you look like an idiot right now. You look so stupid. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Toy Story, Bugs Life, Toy Story 2. What am I forgetting? Monsters, Inc. Finding Nemo. Incredibles. Right? Yes. We did podcasts on all of them, and I still can't remember. God, you anyway. look so stupid. Look how stupid you look. But oh, then Monsters, God. Inc. has got a person. Yes. And then... And she looks Flying great. Playing has no people. Has no... Um, no, it's got, the, it's got the dentist and the little girl. 
Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, that's right, right, right. Yeah, because there are plenty of people and they, like, serve a, 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 a prominent point. narrative function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, apparently the thing that um, sort of empowered them to, to take on this story, um, the story always is that um, the thing that... Sorry, I'm repeating myself. They, um, they came up with a, a program... That could sort of randomly, sort of procedurally generate people. Um, and that was the thing. They were like, oh, we want to do this superhero story that Brad Bird keeps pitching to us. That Brad but... Bird just won't <laughs> shut the fuck up about. Right. But they're like, it, it deals with so many different people and there are so many, like, crowd scenes and, like, times where you have to just talk to extras or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the thing that finally, like, uh, made them, gave them the confidence to actually go with it was they're like oh we built this software that's just like you between a certain data set it'll make like 100 people in that look like pixar people that we could put in a crowd and just like seed them in um and you know it's like one of three head shapes and one of three nose types and one of three eyebrow types or whatever but, but just like randomly step. randomly spun and done automatically um which I think is super fascinating. Hearing about like the animation progress in these like earlier days of Pixar, I think is one of my favorite things to read about. I know, or they're just like they're like this big prestigious animation company, and they're just like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Does this work? <laughs> oh hell yeah, this works. Let's do that. Um, and so I, I've been watching this movie since I was a very young child. Um, Me also. I loved this. I loved this movie growing up. Um. And it's tough for me, even still today, it is, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I am so, like, it's one of those movies that just, I, like, feel it in my gut whenever it's doing anything, you know? Yeah. Um, And I'm trying to figure out if that's really just because it's the best fucking movie ever made. Yeah. (laughs) Or if it's just because I liked it so much as a kid. And in my defense... I watched, you know, probably, like, Finding Nemo and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory about as many times, Just and I don't feel times. that way about those movies, but I do like them still. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't look at Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and go, God, this is the best God, film ever like, made. <laughs> this is what this is all about. <laughs> um, what about you, Adeline? What do you think? I think... This is one of the this is this is our castle in the sky for like this is the childhood movie like right. oh god so many road trips we watched this movie but like yeah. it's and because it's the it's not early animation it's just it's just not modern animation like what do you call right. that like it's not it's not <laughs> early animation it's just not the crazy animation that we have now where it right. still looks it still looks really really good but it's so tactile that I have so many like tactile memories like when they like fall in the water and their hair is like all wet like I don't know why that's right. such like a vivid mem- memory in my head but it is um so okay I feel like in it, I guess it's not necessarily a, a a new criticism but for me at least personally engaging with that much more like, film criticism online and talking to people about movies more. There's one thing about The Incredibles when it comes to people criticizing it that comes up over and over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that on the certain... At least according to some people, it feels like this, like, Republican libertarian fantasy where they're, like, complaining about, like, participation trophies and how, like, people who are cool are being told not to be cool and, like, it's 
the unwashed masses should know their place and the the supers who are the the elite bourgeoisie deserve their place because that's who they are you know um which is a a not insubstantial complaint about it i don't think i think this movie is doing a lot of different things and sometimes it's hard to parse out exactly what it's trying to say yeah um, but i don't think that they're equating having superpowers to being rich because the pars are a very middle class family and we are shown that a lot like <laughs> Just because Bob has, like, this job that he hates and he's got, like, a tiny car and they've got, like, a nice house and they've got, like, four kids. Like, they're not, I don't know, if they were, like, super rich and then they were like, oh, why can't we be so cool? Then I would, I would see that as, like, that is the meaning of the movie. But because it's about the fact that they have these special abilities, it kind of, that metaphor falls apart in being a literal metaphor for, like, how capitalism is great, you know? But here's what I would say is that it's about people who... It's about people having what makes them special taken away from them by the government. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really, at least on a one-to-one literal basis, that doesn't equate to anything else besides having a lot of money, you know? It's the only thing like that that can be taken from you. I mean, that's what X-Men is kind of, and that's a story about racism with no black people in it. So, I mean, like... It's the same kind of thing. I think it's more about government control over, like, things than it is about capitalism. I don't know. I just, I don't read it as this capitalistic, like, dreamscape. And and I've read, I've read Atlas Shrugged. I know what a capitalistic dreamscape looks like. And it's, and I think it is because it's looking at it through the lens of superpowers, and that is a conversation that we've had about superpowers in the past with, like, how do we regulate people with superpowers? So it doesn't seem like, I don't know, I feel like that metaphor is definitely there and you can read it like that, but I don't think that was what they were trying to say, especially because this is the same company that made Bugs Life, which I think is literally <laughs> just Marx's manifesto, but with ants in it, so. Right. Well, because here, here's my take. Um... Basically, I think what this movie is putting forward is that just, like, some people are super cool. And they should be allowed to be that way. Mostly because that's what all of Brad Bird's movies are about. Because clearly he thinks of himself as this misunderstood genius. (laughs) Because Brad Um, Bird loves nobody like he loves Brad Bird. Yeah. Like, literally, it's one of those things that once you pointed out, like, I haven't seen Iron Giant, but, like... Every Brad Bird movie is about this person who's really fucking good at their job and is this incredible creative genius. And there's somebody, whether it's the government or his family or whatever, that's telling him that he shouldn't do that, you know? Yeah. And, like, that's just, it's whether it's Mission Impossible or it's Ratatouille or it's The Incredibles, like, it's always about someone being told they shouldn't yeah. do the thing that they're good at. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I choose to read it as being, like, don't, like, don't sell yourself short or don't stop doing what you love just because other people don't like it. Like, be yourself unafraid of what other people think. Right. Is, I think, what the movie's trying to say. Right. But I think it's a little bit more nuanced than just that, like, oh, these superpower people are so cool, we shouldn't restrict them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I think, in a way, sort of the original sin of this movie is Bob being mean to, to Buddy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um and that is, I think, I think the movie wants us to believe that Buddy is also exceptional. You know, mm-hmm. he has every bit the the power and the and the ability to be a super person, just like anybody else in this story. 
But because Bob is mean to him, Bob, like, shoves him down and restricts him, super bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think sort of the moral is just that you should you should let people who want to do something and want to be better than they are engage with that and be that rather than trying to make a level playing field for everybody by pushing people down. I think ideologically it has a lot in common with... Did you ever read Harrison Bergeron? I don't think so. So it's this... Um, uh, what's the name of the guy who wrote Fahrenheit 450? Or not Fahrenheit, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five. Kurt uh, Vonnegut. Um, yeah. It's this Kurt Vonnegut short story where basically it's like this world where everybody has these like necklaces on that like inhibit their natural talents or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and it's this weird sort of story. And it's also like it kind of gets crazy and surreal at the end. Yeah, because but it's like, one of those old stories that's like weirdly yeah. about, about capitalism. And you're like, all right, <laughs> we're doing but, this um, now. I don't even think it's about money. It's more about, like, just... So, like, everybody has these these necklaces on, like, collars that, like, inhibit their natural ability. And they talk about, like, watching a ballet on TV. And all the ballerinas just suck because they're getting their talents inhibited. So everybody can meet the, like, lowest common denominator of who is good at ballet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then one person fucking rips off their collar and turns into this super saiyan super being and like floats up to the ceiling and like (laughs) blows everybody's mind anyway it's a good short story i like it a lot Um, (laughs) despite what i've just said (laughs) no not despite it i like that about it the things i said are all cool i think i like that part um but it's sort of just this idea that like you we don't we don't need to all be at the lowest common denominator for everything you know Mm -hmm. um and i think you know, the the people that are exceptional in the world in terms of, like, this metaphor it's putting forward, I don't think it directly relates to privilege. I think it relates to just to people who have talent, you know? Yeah. Um, because, I mean, you know, I think in real life, if we were having this conversation in reality, you wouldn't be able to remove that from privilege because a lot of times, like, talent comes from education and comes yeah. from having the means to practice and blah, 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 blah. But, yes. um... I think to hear Brad Bird tell it in the story of this is just like, it doesn't mean anybody. It just means that we should all be on a, have a level playing field. What? To hear this um, male, straight, white, rich man tell you that. (laughs) Right. Who's very successful. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But um, who's very successful and somehow writes a whole bunch of movies about how angry he is, about how not successful he is still. (laughs) Yeah, so. uh... (laughs) Um, But just that we should all be on a level playing field so that the people who are exceptional can rise above, I guess. It sounds whack when you say it like that. Yeah, but... it does sound whack. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but um but you get you get the vibe I'm talking about. I get I just I just see this as a superhero movie and as a really, really good superhero movie. I didn't right. think about it as a socioeconomic criticism of reality. <laughs> but it is it, I mean, there's so there's so much to read into in this movie. It's it's not just I'm not being ridiculous when I bring No, up you're not. That's just not thing. I just don't like that version of it, so I would rather right. just think of it as a superhero movie because there's yeah. a lot to read into of it like that also because <laughs> right. it's incredible. <laughs> um, the, uh, so, I mean, right at the beginning. Yeah, this movie, we start I'm with... interrupting you. Okay, this yeah, movie go ahead. is just so smart and so good at giving you information quickly and effectively. Like, totally. just, it does it so masterfully. 
like the beginning where they just like they start and it's just like these interviews of all these superheroes and you're like oh we have superheroes here oh it's about them like it just establishes the universe just like so quickly and hilariously and effectively and it's just it's so good they do such a good job Right. No, the opening sequence of this movie, like, between the interviews and the actual opening sequence when he's, like, going to get married, I think are, like, literally, uh, if I were teaching a class, I would show that to convey, like, effective and succinct exposition, you know? Because it's, it's familiarizing you with the world and with the characters and telling you everything you need to know in the context of, like, this extended action sequence Mm -hmm. that takes place across the entire city. Yeah, it's so good. Um, And they're never... Like, obviously, at the beginning, they're just talking, but they're not even... When they're just talking at the beginning, they're not giving direct exposition, you know? Yeah. They're just saying, like, oh, you know, sometimes it gets... I'm really tired of, of being a superhero. It's like, I want things to... I, I wish I could take a break. It's like, oh, I love, I love women. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I love uh, that. I love Frozone's bit at the beginning. I know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so funny that, like, one of the opening moments in this movie is just being like, uh, no, wine him, dine him, 69 him. Get out of there. <laughs> Smoke like, him if you got him. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's so funny. Yeah. Um. Well, and I love like, I love this reversal of characters that you get, where Bob at the beginning is like, "I want to settle down and raise a family," and then you have, um, then you have Elastigirl who's like, "No, I don't want to set, settle down. Like, I want to keep doing this." And then when you get to their regular life, they've completely switched to what they want in their right. life. And yeah, it's just, totally. God, the characters are so good, man. They're so they realistic. Really I can't look at Mr. Incredible without seeing our dad, and that's my fault. But like, God. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I mean it's fair. Yeah. It, um. The, uh, but it's, it's a, it's designed to be that way, you know, it's a... Oh, yeah, definitely. You are supposed to see your family in The Incredibles, right. absolutely. Totally. Um, and I love, um, I just wrote down the, the bit where they, like, meet up and they're like, oh, what are you doing later? And then, like, he's just fucking late to the wedding and she's just like, oh, he actually forgot that we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Um... But, like, also just the reversal where they play it as if they're, like, just meeting for the first time or whatever. Yeah. And then, like, it, it's revealed that it's like, oh, they were just flirting with each other and their their wedding night is tonight. Yeah. <laughs> the but reason that everyone's time, like, hey, Mr. Incredible, you should go get ready is because he's supposed to be at his <laughs> wedding. married. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's so good that because it's, like, this twist, you know, this reversal... But it doesn't, like, cheapen the interaction from before. Yeah, no. You know? Like, you can still watch it with that information and be like, this reads and makes sense and I still like this scene, you Yeah, know? exactly. Which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I don't know. And Okay, so I just want to make a note that, because I noticed the fact that when he's chasing down the cops at the beginning, one of the streets was called Adeline Street. Yeah. And then you noticed that independently and yeah. texted a picture of it to me, which is weird because it has literally never crossed my mind in all me the neither. like 17 years of me watching this movie. And yet somehow both of us today were like, oh, hell yeah, it says Adeline right there. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, I was like writing that? something down and I looked up at the screen and I like looked up right as the scene was changing. I was like, wait, was my name just on screen? And so I literally like went back and I was like, oh, hell yeah, my name's on screen. <laughs> 
Um, I just at think that's first, so. At first, I thought it was like a Disney Plus thing where they would put your name <laughs> there, like for everybody. That would rip. I'd be so into that. That'd be, that's because I'm a dumbass. So I was like, oh, wait, what? No, that can't be a coincidence. That has to be a, a feature. They're adding procedurally generated Easter eggs into classic Pixar movies. That would be dope. I would be down for that. That'd be kind of fun. That's a good idea. It's just you're one of that. the background characters somehow. Right. <laughs> um. Okay, so, so here's, I think, part of the reason this movie means so much to me is that this movie, I think, is wholly and completely unique in the modern era in the sense that there is absolutely no reason that this pitch, this story, this script would be produced as anything other than, like, a regular, like, adult film, you know? Not an adult film. Like, (laughs) just... I'm saying this pitch, this script, this story, there's absolutely no reason that it wouldn't just be, like, a live-action movie for, like, general audiences, you know? No part of this screams, this should be a PG PG animated movie marketed for children, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, like, a really serious and really mature story about so many things, and it never, ever feels like it's looking down on or pandering to its audience of children, presumably. Mm -hmm. Um... And I think that is just spectacular. I think this movie is really and truly, like, one of the first things that made me, like, appreciate and think about storytelling outside of the really narrow slice of storytelling you're given when you're six years old, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's I, We always talk about a series of unfortunate events and Tim Burton mm-hmm. in this light, where it's, like, it's the first time that you as a kid, like, kind of see media that, like... Not that isn't meant for you, but not that's, like, not pandering. Not explicitly tailored to you. Yeah, not explicitly, like, a children's story. It's just a story that children can read or interact with. So mm-hmm. I think this movie is very much that with superheroes and with animation and stuff like that, where it's like, this, is, this isn't, this is like, oh, a Batman and Spider-Man pop-up book. This is a story about superheroes, <laughs> right. and it's cool and good, and it's not just for little kids, you know? Do you remember the Hulk picture book we used to have? I do not. I think it was a pop-up book. I'm trying to remember it because I'm trying to figure out any... I remember it had to do with... There was a kid who was playing in a sandbox. Uh Uh-huh. And he got bullied by some other kids. And then the kid was like, Oh, Bruce Banner, I'm getting bullied. Can you help me? And I don't remember how it ended, and I'm trying to figure out how it could have ended besides the Hulk tearing those bullies to shreds. <laughs> I don't I don't think this book existed, because I have no memory of it. <laughs> it was something from when I was really little. Because I remember that was what inspired me to dress up as the Hulk that one year for Halloween when I was like four or five. Yeah, which means I was probably like one or two. Yeah, you were you were like not a not a conscious person. Not a yet. human person yet, yeah. I'm I'm looking up Hulk pop up book. <laughs> Okay. I'm just, yeah, I don't know. But I just, I remember it. I'm trying, yeah, I found it. Hold on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, just a minute. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's just the same vibe. Anyway. No, yeah, this is it. This is it. This is totally it. It's on eBay. I could buy it for $12. That's a lot of dollars. I'm just going to send a picture. You probably still won't remember it, but this is it. Uh, 
And yeah, the kid was in the sandbox. Are there any pictures of the inside? I want to see. I want to see, see what he does. Because, <laughs> like, okay. how does the Hulk resolve that conflict without just, like, crushing some skulls? He politely tells them to go eat sand. And they do because it's the Hulk. <laughs> the Hulk. <laughs> but what I think is so effective about the beginning of this movie, not only that it's so action-packed and fast-paced and gives you so much information so effectively... But because it then is immediately paralleled by the next sequence, which is just Robert Parr just going through his, like, regular normal life and how much he hates it. And then Helen just, like, washing the baby in the sink and picking the kids up from school. Like, it shows you a regular day as a superhero and then a regular day as a person and just how drastically different they are. And they just, like, totally highlight and parallel each other. And it's so effective. Right. And that is the thing. I think that's the other point that keeps this from being a functionally Randian libertarian movie, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that, like, the thing that they're trying to rise to do in their exceptionalism is to defend people and help people and lift people up, you know? Yeah. Um, Which is to say to make everybody else's lives better yeah which you know could also just be a trickle down thing to say but i think i think it's important to note that the thing that they're trying to do is is help people in a really direct way yeah and it's not even necessarily just by keeping them from getting beat up when he's at the the insurance company he's doing everything he can to help people who are in mundane tragic circumstances yeah he cares about helping people no matter what form that takes he just right. really likes being a superhero also. <laughs> right. Um, and I think I think the scene where he's talking to Wallace Shawn in the office mm-hmm. is fucking the best scene in any movie oh my that God. ever Looking at just the way made. that the office is laid out in that scene, just, oh my gosh, because there's like behind his desk are like the three identical clocks all in the same time zone. And then to the right, there's like a bar graph that's just like stagnant and like the ups and downs. And then he's mm-hmm. got all of his pencils lined up, and even, like, that little letter of him getting fired is, like, lined up perfectly. Like, it's just, uh, like, it's, right. it's so good of showing off, like, the energy of that room and everything around right. it. Like, it's so totally. good. And it's it's one of those weird things that, like, I, I've watched this ever since I was, you know, I guess since it came out in 2003, so since I was five years old. Um, I think I saw it in theaters. Um... But, like, there's so much about it that I didn't understand as a kid, you yeah. know? Yeah, like, that whole that scene, didn't... that whole scene, when I was little, I just read it as, oh, this guy's mean, and Robert wants to help that guy, and that guy won't let him. But, like, now that I'm, like, right. an adult and know how the world works, I'm like, oh, he's getting in here, he's gonna get fired. And also, this is going on. And also, the reason why he doesn't want him to help other people is because it's more, it makes them more money if he doesn't help people. And it's just like, right. ooh, the layers. Yes. But it's, like, not even just that, it's, like, just on a logistical level. Like, the the scene where he's talking to the old lady, as a kid, I would always be like, oh, this is kind of the boring part, it's just, like doing something yeah but now that's like one of my favorite scenes in the movie yeah and like i remember i never quite grasped the whole idea of like the guy jumping out of the building and him saving him and then him suing him for saving him yeah which is an insane plot device that i think is so creative and cool oh yeah um but um as a kid it wasn't even like it freaked me out or anything i just didn't like 
really understand. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, people like committing suicide was not like an idea that I had in my world yet. So I was just like, I really. (laughs) Back when I was young. When I thought it was, was just that he like fell and then he saved him, but he was like, oh, you broke my arm or whatever. And he was just doing like a petty lawsuit. And that's kind of how I read it as a kid. But now I'm like, oh, like this is more intense and more complicated than just that. You know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. And it's just one of those things that's like, as I, as I get older and as I, I mean, I don't know, not as I get older, as I turned 11 and figured out <laughs> there, how to there's watch a, Yeah, there's definitely like a limit that you reach of getting older. Right. You'll be 85 but, um, and you'll be like, oh my God. <laughs> now I know why. Bon Voyage why... is kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but uh, like just that it continues to hold up you know as a mm-hmm. as a kid i liked it just because it was superheroes and because i could you know they could punch people sometimes and it was big and fun and exciting and i thought that jack jack was funny um and he was but like he was and he was funny but like <laughs> now that i like as i understand it and as i like fully am able to engage with it on its own terms you know there, there's never been any disappointment or any diminishing returns it's like completely and wholly yeah. holds up you know I mean, on a whole, on a whole nother level, I praise this movie for being a superhero movie that doesn't have, like, iconography that we already recognize in it. Like, they're inventing mm-hmm. a whole superhero world with its own rules, and they do it in such a, an effective and compelling way. Like, it, whenever I see a superhero that, like, isn't Spider-Man or Batman or something, there's a danger of it feeling just like a generic superhero you know like it's like right. oh it's it's like i almost said superman but that's a, the real superhero it's like <laughs> it's a mighty guy like it there, there's right. a danger of just feeling generic and having no generic and having no substance behind it right but they just like so effectively create these characters that that doesn't happen even a little bit i don't feel like oh this is just a superman ripoff i feel like oh this is right. mr incredible he's just totally his own thing even if mm-hmm. he has similar powers to some other superhero Right. Yeah, no, totally. I, um, let me look back at my notes for a second. Um, I was, I did a Google search for the Hulk to the rescue picture book. I was trying to find some pictures of the inside of it, but I can't find them. It's making me really upset. You do. Every time I make see... a really good point, you're like staring at the wall or Googling which order the Pixar movies come in or doing something else. It's okay. Cause it's on the record and it's saved for eternity. You don't need me to listen to it. People listen to it for going, generations. Uh-huh, yeah. Cool. And I'm like, great. I just said something really insightful, but I guess I'll just sit here now. I just want to know what the Hulk does does to those kids in the sandbox. He probably actually just tells them not to bully him because it's a children's <laughs> book, so the Hulk just talks to people. But he's got to... Maybe he breaks a big rock or something. Probably. He probably smashes a building. Maybe he punches their dad. I don't know. <laughs> my dad could be up your dad and my dad's the Hulk. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? You don't, you don't fucking care is the thing, because you're just looking up this goddamn pop-up <laughs> book, Jackson. I want to see something. We Sorry, okay, I'm closing it. Podcast. I'm closing the Google search. I'm closing it. It's okay, done. God. Um, I think it's interesting that this was a time, especially when the whole idea of, like, sort of deconstructing the superhero genre and making it feel sort of realistic, quote-unquote, or, like, you know, bringing it into a certain kind of reality, you know? Yeah. Was just really big in the public consciousness. Oh, yeah. Um, Civil War was a couple of years after this. 
um, the comic book. Yeah. And um, just before this, uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Steve Oming's comic book called Powers was doing a lot of the same things that The Incredibles was doing. Um, I might even have to look up the timeline on that. I don't remember if it came out before or after Incredibles. But, like, it's just one of those things that's interesting that, like, it's slow that like this like particular deconstruction of superhero storytelling suddenly sort of became a part of the zeitgeist like at this really specific time you know oh yeah like there was there was stuff before that that was engaging in a similar kind of way like watchmen you know yeah but like it's still that was more in like a really gritty like yeah. powerful like dreary and dark kind of way but this is more in the like still fantastical but they just have to deal with everyday problems kind of way you know yeah i i would argue that maybe Watchman is maybe a little bit unrealistic and how gritty and sad and rapey and weird it is like it's, you haven't read Watchman, adeline I also you just movie. called it you also called it Watchman, which makes me <laughs> think that you think it's about it's, one no, guy that's named just because i'm bad at talking but i've watched the film and i detest the film do you have anything else to say? I'm looking about? at my notes, you gremlin. You spent 20 at... minutes googling the Hulk pop-up book. Let me take a second to look at my notes, Senor. I won't. To be frank, to be frank, I've had a very, very busy few days, uh, and I did not ever end up actually finishing the film this time. <laughs> but it's fine because I've seen it 800 million times, so I know it like the back of my hand. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Whatever. Um, the, uh, I, I think Craig T. Nelson is, like, absolutely one of the best, like, voice performances ever. I think he's doing so much in this movie that's so cool, and he feels so quintessentially, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, just quintessentially realistic, I guess. Yeah. His voice performance is, like, big and expressive without ever feeling like it's over-the-top or cartoony or, like, not blending into this this world they've created, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think uh, I'm proud to have graduated from the same high school as him. <laughs> so, speaking of which, I'm going to go see the LC production of Shrek today, so I'll tell you if that's really oh. good or really bad. I hope it's good. I fucking love Shrek the Musical. I don't want to talk about our local high school's theater productions on our podcast. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's going to happen, though. <laughs> okay. We can talk about Shrek the Musical. I love Shrek the Musical. Shrek the Okay, abstract. can we talk about how society has screwed over Shrek and I'm upset about it? Um, I feel like Shrek screwed over society more than society <laughs> no, screwed Shrek over Shrek. Shrek is so fucking good. I'll kill you. Shrek, like, Shrek is, like, the... It's just, like, the father of every trope of bad animation that is the worst. But I don't know why, though, because it itself is so good, and I don't know why all terrible tropes have spawned from it, because, like, Shrek is, like, genuinely a masterpiece of, like, great storytelling, and, like, the animation is fantastic. Like, looking at the animation of the time around Shrek, I have no fucking idea how they animated Shrek and had it it look so good. Like, it's... (laughs) genuinely a heartwarming story that i think is really provocative and like really deep and i really enjoy the characters and the character development but because everyone on the planet made a meme out of it just because it's one of those memes that spawned from the fact that we'd all seen the movie 
then they just right. meme the hell out of it, and it's a joke now. So when I say Shrek the Musical is my favorite musical, they're like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, lol. And I'm like, no, it's genuinely really good. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by what what becomes a meme when, you know? Yeah, like, like right Ice now, Age I feel like we're in meme. this. Yeah, exactly. Like, Ice Age is one that's just come up lately. And I, but the one I'm especially confused by, because, you know, in a certain way, it's like there's a certain, like, bank of media that everybody of a certain age sort of unanimously has, has this galvanizing experience of having seen as a little kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and part of that is, like, the powerful sense memory that accompanies that that makes the memes that much more powerful. Yeah. Everyone um, is being so mean to the baby from Ice Age. And yeah, I, that's the joke. It I love gets it. me so steamy. I like that baby. Why? I think she's cute. <laughs> no, the baby's the worst, Adeline. No, I like the you baby. You haven't seen Ice she's Age in long enough. Um, she's got a necklace but, and she eats a watermelon. And but her it's dad like we tries sort of, to kill Manny. Right. But we sort of rotate through. You know, every every yeah. kid's movie from 1995 to 2002 gets its gets its moment in the sun. But I'm fascinated by the fact that Revenge of the Sith has become the, like, meme hub of the last few months, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've had this, like, renaissance of Revenge of the Sith content <laughs> for reasons that I don't fully understand. Because the prequels have been the butt of jokes and have been a galvanizing film that is notoriously bad for years and years and years and years. And why is it that only now has the the eye of meme Sauron only like swiveled around to it, you know? Well, I'll tell I'll tell you why. It's several things. First of all, it's the new trilogy, so Star Wars is in the public eye more than ever. And second right. of all, but I mean, like, in the last few months. It's because of Clone Wars, and because everyone's excited about the new Clone Wars. And that one gave people such a different perspective of that film, and gave them, like, genuine genuine good content about that film. So now when they go back and watch that film, and it's shit garbage, they still can take away the good stuff. So all the memes are Obi-Wan being great, and Anakin being a crybaby, because people <laughs> like those characters because of other media, and they're going back right. to this media and being like, man, Anakin is the creepiest dude alive, holy shit. <laughs> he describes I'm... being around Padme as being intoxicated, and I just want to die. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you, because like I said, it's happened... Like, really recently. Like, yeah. in the last, like, like four the, months. Hello there, General yeah. Kenobi. Yeah. And the the things you're describing, I think there's a valid point to what you're saying, but they're not new. Those things have also been around for years. We've been doing this new Star Wars thing for five years, and Clone Wars started in, like, 2012. Well, you know? I, think, I think it's also because Gen Z has reached the age where they are the ones creating content now. So everyone else has already made their Star Wars jokes, but now Gen right. Z has TikTok and is making their own memes. <laughs> and these right. are the memes that they choose to make. Making Obi-Wan say hello there and talking about the high ground and how fucking <laughs> I... creepy Anakin is. <laughs> Right. Can I just say that we talk about Star Wars so much on this podcast. Yes. And I'm so excited to actually talk about Star Wars on the podcast. (laughs) Okay, you know the second we watch a Star Wars movie, we're going to start talking about something else. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. 
Um, I've decided that when we start doing Star Wars movies, I want to go deep on like ancillary content, like on comic all books the and shitty TV shows lore that, that nobody cares about. Yeah, exactly. I want to like really get into it. I've been reading a lot of Star Wars comic books lately. Yeah, and I've been really impressed by all of them. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't like the Star Wars Rebels show as much as they like Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, but there's a comic book that was coming out right when Marvel first started. Um doing Star Wars comic books uh, called Kanan, The Last Padawan um, that I'm not all the way through yet. It's only 12 issues, but I'm like four or five in. And it rips. And it's about the, um, the protag- at least one of the protagonists. I think the show is more like an ensemble. I haven't yeah. watched it yet. Um, but it's about one of the protagonists from that show. And it's just the story of this like ambiguously aged, I don't know, young kid. I was going to say, like, 16-year-old, but it's kind of unclear. But, like, this kid who's a Padawan who's, like, fighting in the Clone Wars with this Jedi master, and then, like, Order 66 kicks in, and, like, suddenly everybody around him, like, is gunned down and killed, and he's, like, this 14-year-old who just can't figure it out, and he's just running and hiding from stormtroopers, um, and, like, living as this weird fugitive in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool. And it's all about, like, about how, like, at the very beginning, he's like, oh, I'm, like, you know, you're not supposed to say it, but I'm, like, really into this whole Clone Wars thing. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like this is my place, you know? I'm good at fighting, and I have, like, friends in this, and everything's going really well, and it feels like we're winning, and, like, I'm... I, I feel this. I don't know what I'm going to do once the Clone Wars are over. And then fucking everybody around him gets fucking killed by his friends. And he's like, oh, no. I shouldn't <laughs> what, have said those things. What about the fun part of war? Go back to <laughs> right? that. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. It's so good. And I'm so excited to, like, have a have a, a, a direction that I should need to go to to, like, experience all the weird ancillary Star Wars I thought Wars this was going to be more like Monuments Men and less, like, that movie that just won where that kid gets exploded. 1947? 1917. 1917. 1917. It's about World War I. Oh, Adeline. fuck. I haven't seen the film. I don't care. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, anyway, The Incredibles. Um, it's, it's incredible. I, did, you, did you ever pick up on the fact that um, the island he goes to is called No Man is an Island? As in, no man is an island. <laughs> oh, my God. I just picked up on that for the first time. That, this time. that fucking sucks, Doc. There's <laughs> no point, though. But it's thematically cool. Because um, Bob wants to be independent and do everything by himself. Yeah. But he can't. He needs his family because no be... man is an island. Yeah. Okay. I really like that scene. First of all, I like this movie, like, transitions, like, through its storyline, like, really, really smoothly. Where we, like, we see Mirage, like, drop off the package and we see her, like, following them in her car. And then we, like, see, we see her and all that stuff. Like, it just very smoothly transitions into what we're doing. I do like that she just mails him an iPad, though. That's my favorite part. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) And I know it's the 60s or whatever, but it's still funny to me. (laughs) Right. I, man, I, like... I love I love all the characters in this movie so much. Like I love Helen's storyline throughout the whole thing, where she kind of realizes that her husband is lying to her, and she has to like figure out about what. Where she like figures out that her husband is lying to her, and she has to like figure out like what about. 
And it's just, I don't know, just, like, her transformation and, like, her, like, because she's just, like, we see her going from being this amazing superhero to kind of being a housewife. Not that there's anything wrong with being a housewife, but it's just, like, that's right. just the role that she's kind of stuck in and she enjoys it, but that's just what she's doing now. But then it's just, like, also, she knows how to fly a plane, like, crazy. Right. <laughs> and it's, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then she goes on this, like, mission by herself and kicks ass. And it's, like, I don't know, it's just, like, so cool to see, like, such a multifaceted female character. Like, she's just, like, she just inhabits, inhibits so many, inhabits, god, fuck, inhabits so many different roles, and I think it's just super cool. Um, and yeah, I don't know, it just has, it it also just speaks to this movie and how it introduces you to things, you know? They don't feel like they need to be like, oh, Helen, when she was younger, she went on this specific adventure where she had to learn how to fly a plane and she made this contact. It's just like, no, she knows how to fly a plane. You know that because you see her flying a plane. Yeah, exactly. If she didn't know how to fly a plane, she wouldn't know how to do that. <laughs> she like, wouldn't be flying a plane if she didn't know how to fly a plane. <laughs> so I like to imagine you're watching the movie and she starts flying a plane and you're like, what? When? But she doesn't know how to fly a plane. I got that scene in the plane. It's so fucking good. <laughs> like, yeah, it rips. Because you, it starts off very comedic with, like, the kids, like, being there. And I love that line that Violet has where she's like, yes, mom, I'm completely stupid. <laughs> like, it's like the dialogue in this movie is so realistic of how right. family communicates. Like, there's not a moment where Violet and Dash look at each other and Violet's like, what are we doing, bro? And he's like, I don't know, sis. Like, you know, there's none of that bullshit that happens sometimes. Yeah. Well, no, like, they're completely and totally always at odds with each other. Yeah. Unless they are with one of their parents. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the only times that they, like, get along is when their parents are watching them. You know? (laughs) Like... And it's just like, I don't know, because like you and I, we we talk about it a lot. We were not friends growing up. Yeah. Like, we tolerated each other. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it just speaks that like, I don't know, I feel like there's an inherent truth that just like siblings before they turn like 15 just don't. Yeah. They don't we we know often how to talk about each how other. when you're a freshman in high school, you are not a person yet, but you act as right. if you are, are a person and therein lies the problem <laughs> with freshmen. But right. that's also true with, like, sibling groups. Like, you're not friends until you become a person, and that takes a little bit sometimes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk about Syndrome's whole whole plan for a minute. Yeah. Because that's the thing I think that trips me up the most about the, like, theming of this movie. Yeah. Like, I'm all for him, like, holding this grudge and tracking down supers and building this machine just because he has this chip on his shoulder about how he was treated before and he wants to be a superhero himself. So he's going to make it happen for himself through sheer force of will. Mm-hmm. If you ask me, I think like in a way that's like plenty, <laughs> you know, yeah. but the whole bit where he's like, I'm going to take, it's just this extra little bit that they add where he's like, I'm going to take all the stuff and sell it off for a profit and make everybody in the world a superhero making superheroes kind of irrelevant anymore. That feels a little out of sync with the rest of yeah. the movie. Well, to me. I think, I honestly think that's just thrown in there to piss off Mr. Incredible. Because when he's going over his plan, he's like, I made this huge robot. I tested it on all of your friends who are dead now. Like, mm-hmm. I 
And like, what I'm gonna do is only I can control it. So I am going to be the only superhero and I'm gonna be the best superhero ever. I'm gonna be a million times better than you were. Oh, and when I'm old and I don't give a fuck anymore, I'm just gonna make everybody a fucking superhero. Cause fuck <laughs> right, you, yeah. you're not special, Mr. Incredible. Like that that's right. what I kind of take it as. Like, I don't know. Cause that's like his plan, like way, way down the line. So much so that I don't think it's really even a plan. I think he's just like rubbing Mr. Incredible's right. nose in it. You yeah. Know? No, that's fair enough. But I, I guess that just speaks to, like, the fact that one of the biggest lines from The Incredibles that people, like, know across the world mm-hmm. is what he says, because when everyone's special, nobody will be. Yeah. And it's, like, this really powerful piece of writing that resonates so strongly with audiences, but it weirdly doesn't really have that much to do with the movie, you yeah. know? Um, I don't know. It's an interesting... Yeah, I mean, I like your take on it, that it's just it's just about his relationship with Mr. Incredible. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. And I guess I was thinking that, like, that was part of his whole plan, but it's more like him just trying to destroy everything that Mr. Incredible values about himself. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and rubbing his face in the fact that he's so successful at becoming a superhero without powers, like you said, I couldn't be. I don't, I can't, I could even give it away to everybody else. I could make everybody else who doesn't have superpowers a superhero. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, I, I have never thought about it that way. Well, and yeah, like and then the better. whole point that, and that goes back to the line that he says too, because then you wouldn't be special anymore, Mr. Incredible, because everyone right. else would have the same powers that you're so proud of. Uh-huh. Um. And God, I love that, like, the parts of this movie that make me cry. It's always that part where the, there's missiles at the plane and Helen, like, yeah. yells, like, there's children on board. And there's just, like, right. this exchange between, like, Mirage and Mr. Incredible. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, dude. God. It gets me every time. That is one of those things that I think... I, I've said before, I've used the phrase masterclass, like, before in this. But, like, genuinely, I think that is some of the most effective and viscerally, like, affecting storytelling in any movie ever, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, it... Every part of it is so succinct and so clear and so economical, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, that whole scene is just so good. Because you start off, you have El- Helen on the plane. She's a little bit freaked out because she's trying to communicate with these people and they're not communicating with her and she's freaked out about it. And then we figure out that the kids snuck onto the plane and it's kind of a joke that they snuck onto the plane. Like, they have a babysitter and that's fine. But then right. you get into, like, the reality of them being superheroes and that there are missiles coming for the plane. And then the fact that the children are there is suddenly terrifying. And it's just, it's it's so good how they do it and how they stretch mm-hmm. out that scene so that you can appreciate, like, every step that it took to get to this horrible realization. Right. I mean, I know it's, like, it's, like, whatever. It's, like, not new information. But, like, Edna is such a fun character. Like, because we're having this whole conversation about superheroes and to, like, insert in this, like, other member of society who's not a civilian and who's not the government but then also has a relationship with superheroes that's been affected by their absence is just, mm-hmm. like, so interesting and adds so much to the world. Where it's like, oh, totally. here's, this, here's this costume designer for superheroes and now she's just doing regular fashion designing and she hates it. And, like, she's just, like, this fashion <laughs> right. designer lady who's, like, so into making superhero outfits that nobody asks her to and she just makes whole outfits for the whole family that's like bulletproof and can explode at a million degrees like it's just <laughs> right she's just such a cool character it just adds in like such a cool element like it just really cements superheroes into the society 
that, like, people that aren't the government and aren't just, like, quote-unquote civilians and regular people are still, like, affected by superheroes and the fact that they're not here anymore. Like, it's just right. super good. And that's what I kind of want out of, like, you know, follow-ups to this movie is I want to sort of expand out a little bit more and see what other, like, what other, like, ancillary jobs there were that were affected by superheroes being outlawed, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll probably do a podcast episode on Incredibles 2 eventually. I hate it, but... You do hate it. I think you'll hate it less if you watch it again. I hated it... I, I, okay, I mean, look, I don't hate it. Strictly. Yeah, you just gotta... T- well, it's you do this thing and I do this too, where if everybody likes something and you kind of don't like that thing, your rage gets amplified because you feel like you have to shit on it more because everybody else likes it so much. Right. Well, I because totally get that. Because the first time I saw it, I was like, fuck yeah, this is gonna be the best thing ever. I love The Incredibles so much. It's my favorite movie. I'm all in on this. And then I was like, ah, this is fine. Um... And I was like, you know, it was disappointing, but I was like, I'm not furious about this. Mm -hmm. But then I watched it a second time on Netflix, knowing that I didn't like it, and, like, being able to think more deeply about the things in it that I don't like and why I don't like them, and I hate it that much more now. Yeah. I think you just gotta take off your being angry glasses and look at it again, you know? No, I'm looking at it with the exact same lens I look at any other movie. Because I <laughs> Which think... is, I don't like this movie. <laughs> no. Prove me I wrong, mean, film. Truly, I think that it is thematically weak, and I think that it has a, a final act and a big set piece that happens after the conflict of the movie has basically already been resolved. And I don't... I just think in terms of structure and in terms of script writing, it's not anywhere close to being as powerful as The Incredibles is by, like, a country mile. And I think it's just a deeply disappointing movie. But I, you know, those are all, like, big-picture writing galaxy brain criticisms, but it Because you're so smart and great. (laughs) I guess that's that's a bad choice of words. But, um... (laughs) These are my amazing observations. (laughs) Right. My point is those are all, like, high-concept, big-picture criticisms. Yeah, no, I get you, I get you. The truth is that it's, like, it's fine. It works, and it dramatically makes sense, and it has a lot of great action set pieces in it, and it isn't boring. So it's, like, it's fine, but it's just, like, I don't like it what it is at its core, (laughs) you know? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also... Okay, so the, the weird awkward romantic tension between Mirage and Mr. Incredible is I feel like the only part of this movie that I truly just think doesn't really work. work. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Because obviously you're not supposed to think that Bob is literally about to cheat on Helen. No. But it's just, like, playing that up that, like, Mirage clearly has a big crush on Mr. Incredible. And it's just, like... It's cool, and then they have, like, the, all these weird exchanges that never really quite amount to anything, unless you count, like, when Helen sees them and is like, oh, you're cheating on me, which is kind of something, but not 100% something, you yeah. know? I know, I, I know, know one of the, there was a deleted scene where, like, it's really highlighted the fact that Helen is afraid that she's being cheated on. Because, like, it's definitely there in the film, and it's definitely, like, an undercurrent of when she's so worried about where Bob is. But there was just, like, a scene that, like, explicitly said that she was worried that Bob was cheating on her. 
Right. And so I think that's why their relationship was like that for so long. And that without that scene, it's still definitely there. It's just less effective. And right. Yeah, I don't know. Mirage's whole character, I think, is weird. Because I feel like she definitely has moments of characterization that are really, really powerful. But on the whole, she kind of doesn't do a lot. And she's not really there. Like, yeah. just like a mirage. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. But like she she has moments of her like really good characterization. Like when she helps them get the rocket and like when she's worried when there's kids on boards and when she tells and when she tells I wanna call him BS, what's his name? Syndrome. Syndrome. <laughs> when she tells Syndrome that he should bet his life next time and like stuff like that. Like she has these really strong moments of characterization. Right. But then overall, I don't think she has a character and I'm not really sure why that happens. Right. I, that was another moment when she says, next time you gamble, bet your own life, um, that I, for some reason, as a kid, just completely didn't register with me. I was like, for some reason, what I read it as, because what happens mm-hmm. is Mr. Incredible picks up uh, Mirage, is like, I'll fucking kill her, which rules. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Buddy is basically just like, oh, whatever, do it, like, calls his bluff, right? Yeah. And then afterwards, she's really upset at him for taking that risk with her life. So she says, next time you gamble, risk your own life, not mine, you know? Mm-hmm. But as a kid, for some reason, the connection between that being a gamble didn't happen. So I was like, oh, he has a gambling addiction. <laughs> like, I thought she was just like bringing up something from earlier, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I thought she was just like, next time you gamble, you should gamble your life. Which is, <laughs> that's what I thought it was when I was a kid. I don't know why well, that never quite connected. Yeah. This is just a really little thing that I have. But I, the character design is definitely very much the 60s with like just very simple shapes like conveying like human forms and stuff so it's not mm-hmm. supposed to be 100 percent realistic but i just really like that when mr incredible like gets back into shape i like that he still like looks like a dad like i still like that he's still yeah, like, a big yeah. kind of square looking guy like he doesn't become like like he doesn't look the same as he did when he was younger he just looks muscular again like i don't know i just like that kind of touch right i want to make a note about uh the posters and the marketing for this movie because uh, all of them are lame. Okay. There's one good poster, which is the one where they're, like, running and there's a big explosion and you can see, like, Syndrome in the background or whatever, right? Yeah. But then every other piece of marketing for The Incredibles is just, like, Mr. Incredible's head, the logo, the logo with the heads of the family kind of behind it. And you're like... Yeah. And it's, like, those this... weird, like, black outlines of, like, the basic shapes of their head. Yeah. And you're like, this sucks. I want, like, a cool, engaging fun yeah. poster it's, um have I, you seen go ahead well i honestly think they just didn't know how to advertise it because if they were like oh big superhero action movie i think they were probably afraid that people wouldn't bring their kids to it and then right. i think if they like went in another angle with it then people would be upset when it's an action movie about superheroes so i think they were right. like what if we just put mr incredible on it <laughs> <laughs> right um i have you ever seen or I, you have, but have you recently seen the, like, first trailer they released for this movie? No. I see that little shot of them, like, the footage they released of, like, the hair tests that people thought was crazy, but that's it. Right. No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. So, the first, like, thing when they, like, announced this movie, the trailer, it's it's significant because John Barry did the music for it because he was going to do it originally, but then he decided he didn't want to. 
And so Michael Giacchino stepped in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and it's funny because he like wrote a different theme that they use in the trailer oh, that they weird. end up not using. Kind of cool. Anyway, but like the, the tone of that trailer is totally different because it's all just original footage mm-hmm. um, of, and the joke is that he's fat and he's in his room and he goes to put his suit on and he can't get his belt buckle buckled up. Um, oh my so gosh, I do remember this. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird because they, that's not really the tone of the movie. No. <laughs> you know? Like, it's never really... can Like, you know, there is that plot element of, like, Bob gaining weight and then, like, losing it again as he gets back in shape once he starts feeling better. Uh, but, like... Making fun of him for being fat is like not part of the formula of this movie. Yeah, you this know? isn't this isn't Endgame, right? Um, but like, I don't know. I just think it's so fascinating. Like, I wonder what went on that like led to that trailer. Like, if it was like a totally different crew of people, or like who made that, and why does it not mesh at all with like the final product? You know. Well, I think it was make a fun short about characters from the incredibles and it like i don't think it was supposed to be like tangentially related like really at all i think it was like make a cute story with the characters and so they did it so it could have possibly totally been a totally different team like it's not supposed to be like this leads into the plot of the movie it's just like no make a cute short with the characters from the incredibles and they're like you got it dude yeah um but um but yeah i also just want to say that like i like that we talked about it before in terms of it being, like, realistic and you should see your own family in it. But, like, you know, all the characters, like, look like people. Yeah. Like, they're stylized, but they have, like, body proportions and body weight that, like, reflects a certain kind of reality, yeah. you know? I don't know. Yeah, I just like, appreciate I mean, that like, about he- it. People make jokes about Helen being really se- sexy, but, like, she has a mom right. body. Like, she's got big hips yeah. and she's got, like, like, she looks like a mom and she only looks sexy because she's in a superhero costume and everybody needs to calm down. <laughs> What was the name of the... Everybody needs to stop being so horny on Maine. (laughs) Right. What was the name of the critic who wrote that review of Incredibles 2 where he dedicated, like, 300 words of his review to how hard he was watching Elastigirl? I don't know. I don't know. I hate (laughs) him. There was just a a famous review that was going around where the guy was just, like, spent, like, a solid chunk in the middle of his review talking about how turned on he is by Elastigirl and there was a line about like and when Elastigirl came on screen the popcorn in my lap went everywhere <laughs> like wow what a, what a creep <laughs> this Don't is like cool him. this is cool good guy Don't like um, him. <laughs> do you want to hear my uh trivia time for today Adeline yes I do did you know that this is the first Pixar movie to be one hour and 55 minutes long <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> there was one that was one hour and 44 minutes. That's true. Um, did you know that the Underminer is the first Pixar villain to be voiced by John Ratzenberger? <laughs> I, I I hate some of these trivia <laughs> sometimes. Because who, who, who thinks that this is trivia? <laughs> these are just facts. It's, God... Did you know Did you that know? this film oh. uh, is the first Pixar film that starts with an I? And it's like... Uh, uh, you're okay. right, you're correct. It's also wrong, but like... <laughs> no, no, it's not. What is other right, one? but... Yeah, it's correct. It's stupid, because I just made it up on the spot. <laughs> Did you know that this is the only Pixar film to be released on VHS and to have a human protagonist and to be rated PG? 
This is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know? Mr. Incredible says to Mrs. Incredible, You are my greatest adventure. In Up, Carl's wife Ellie writes in the scrapbook, Thanks for the adventure, go have a new one. This quote was possibly used in both movies on purpose. Okay, see, the, see, these are, like, starts for, like, an academic paper of contrasting and comparing <laughs> Pixar films, but it's not trivia. This is no. something that you could argue with, like, facts, and you could back it up with things for both films. Like, yes, it's probably similar themes, and if you would get me some quotations, I would believe you, but it's, it sure as hell ain't trivia, kid. But, okay, you, you are, you're focusing on the wrong part of this, which is that they are different quotes, not yes. the same quote. Yes. And that they refer to, to Helen as Mrs. Mrs. Incredible. Mrs. Incredible, which she is not, not called the not, whole movie. Has never been called that. Okay, this is the last one. Did you know that Syndrome is easily considered one of the darkest and most evil villains in a film by Pixar, alongside Hopper from A Bug's Life? Okay, subjective <laughs> opinions is not trivia, especially when you're like, he could be, but here's another villain that's way darker. It just doesn't help your case at all in any way. Which is weird because I don't think of Hopper as being that intense of a character. Like, he's, like, scary, but, like, he doesn't really do anything. He just kind of threatens to hurt people and he doesn't actually right. do anything. And then he gets Remember when Ernesto de la Cruz poisoned his best friend? <laughs> right, Do you yeah. remember that? And then when he threw a child into a cesspool? <laughs> do you remember that? What are some other good Pixar villains? Um... Remember the old man from Up who sicks a pack of dogs on a little boy? (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's right. Who's the bad guy in... Remember Brave when it's a giant nightmare demon bear that tries to murder her? (laughs) So, Adeline, do you have any final thoughts on The Incredibles? And any final thoughts on No Nerds Allowed Phase 1? No Nerds Allowed, garbage. No Nerds Allowed 2, better this time. Good. More better. More better. Less... Bad. Dumb stuff. More good. Less yes. bad. More good. <laughs> uh, no, but okay. the Incredibles. <laughs> so, like, it's genuinely a film that I think has like lived up to like the nostalgia glasses that I've always had for it. Like, right. it's genuinely a beautiful piece of storytelling that like makes me cry the way that Pixar movies does. But then it's also just really, really like thought provoking and also fun and also hilarious. And like, I'm attached to all the characters, but like. For good reasons, because they are well-developed and really well-constructed characters. Right. Uh, So, Adeline, do you want to hear a one-star review of The Incredibles? I don't know if I do, because I really like this movie. (laughs) This person on Letterboxd.com gives it one star, and they say, So I was re-watching this movie today, and it really got me thinking, why didn't Syndrome just make his robe out out of diamond so it would be indestructible? This kid's been playing too much Minecraft. <laughs> One star. <laughs> One star. Did not like it. Anyway, my name is Jackson McMurray. My name is Alec McMurray. And this is No Nerds Allowed. <laughs> there are no nerds allowed. But, like, <laughs> why didn't he just make it in? Like, of all your criticisms of Syndrome's <laughs> plan, why is it, why didn't he make his robot out of diamond? <laughs> yeah, but- that's one of those things I've been reading about lately. Is like, it's like a big misconception. Like, you can totally break diamond. The thing, you can't scratch diamond. It's a different thing. Yeah, they're like, you can diamond. only scratch diamond with diamond. It's like, okay, yeah. 
throws it on the ground, shatters it to a million pieces. Okay. Well, it's not fragile. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. 